Welcome to Evil Done Badly, the worst true crime podcast on the internet. And to make it even worse, we've also got COVID. So it's going to be extra crappy. But you know what they say? This shit show must go on. So keep your expectations low and you'll still be disappointed. This week's episode features one but Chandler, who murdered some people and almost got away with it. This one was suggested by listener Curtis P, and I can't wait to get into it. And we've got a special treat for you this week. We've got a budget now, and we've recently upgraded our studio with a small soundboard. So that means I can add in annoying sound effects to go with my usual annoying banter. That's some extra value right there. Aren't you glad you tuned in today? Now, let's try it out. So, when I click this button, it should be someone saying, You're fired. You're fired. Yeah. See, wasn't that awesome? Let's try another one. This one is farm animals. You're fired. Huh? That's not right. What the fuck? Uh, must be a glitch or something. Uh, let's try another one. This one is a toilet flushing. I'm going to be using this one a lot. Here we go. You're fired. What? What a piece of dumb shit this is. You're fired. What? It's already got one sound on it. You're fired. What? This, this can't be right. You're, you're, you're fired. Fired. Damn it, Wish! I wasted seven ninety nine plus shipping on this garbage. Fired. And all it does is tell me I'm fired. You're fired. No! You're fired! You're fired. Yeah! Sorry about that. I guess we don't have a budget after all here at Evil Done Badly. And before you start to worry, no, I'm not actually fired. This shitty podcast will live on, much to the dismay of Marty Bass 1976. So let's get started. Grab a nice warm Neo Citron and cue the theme song. This episode of Evil Done Badly is brought to you by E.T. the Video Game, coming this Christmas for your Atari 2600 home video game system. Take on the role of E.T. himself as he wanders around collecting dots and falling in holes. It's unbelievably exciting. Gather phone bits and assemble a working phone. It's just like being in a sweatshop. Such excitement. Watch out for Elliot. He will steal all your hard-earned dots and leave you dotless. The trench coat-wearing pervert in the park will lock you up and have his way with you if you're not careful. You gotta have quick reflexes and a sharp mind to make contact with your home planet and escape in the spaceship. Otherwise, you'll be stuck in a hole. It's super exciting. You'll want to play this in your underwear because all the excitement will blow your trousers off. We cannot be held responsible for any perverts you attract because you're playing in your underpants. Hitting the shelves at Consumers Distributing this fall. 
And if you haven't already, please sign up to the Wide World of Paranormal Investigations group on Facebook. It's the only group on the whole internet that will admit to knowing us. Now back to the show. Oba Chandler was born on October 11, 1946 in Cincinnati, Ohio, and has been a cunt ever since. He was arrested about 20 times as a juvenile. His crimes included kidnapping, burglary, using counterfeit money, and loitering. Well, holy shit, this cunt was hanging around somewhere where someone else did not want him to be hanging around at. Holy fucking shit, throw the book at him already. I hate him. Think of the children, you bastard. Sorry about that. I have a bit of a sore spot for loiterers. That's death penalty material right there. He was also accused of masturbating. Hmm? What? Wait a minute, is that it? Oh, wait, wait, wait. Hold on now. He was arrested for masturbating while leering in through someone's window. I think that's the criminal part, so never fear. Go ahead. Masturbate away. Just don't look in a window while you're at it. So, as you can see, Oba here is a real piece of shit. Later on, in 1989, he was working as an unlicensed aluminum siding installer in Tampa, Florida. There's absolutely no limit to the depths of depravity this man will sink to. Impersonating an aluminum siding installer should be highly illegal. I mean, what if your siding is crooked? It'll be all lopsided and it'll probably be leaky as well. I don't trust this fucker to side on my house. But, on the evening of May 26, 1989, some people did trust this cunt. They trusted him not to sidle their houses, but to do something else, and it wound up costing them their lives. Joan Rogers and her daughters, Michelle and Christy, were vacationing in Florida. They became lost on the way back to Ohio and decided to spend an extra night in Tampa. Okay, you know, it's nice and sunny and stuff. That makes perfectly good sense. On June 1st, they ran into Oba himself, Mr. Chandler, and he gave them directions to a nice hotel and made an offer to take them out on his boat later that evening. Out for a nice trip around Tampa Bay. I know this was the late 80s, but holy shit, that has to creep you the fuck out. I'd like to take this opportunity to make a public service announcement on behalf of the show. Nobody should go out on a boat with a man. Period. Don't ever go out on a boat with a man. Here at Evil Done Badly, we're full of useful information. We like to take care of our listeners... And you can thank us later. So don't ever go on a boat with a man. Moving on. Joan, Michelle, and Christy would go missing on June 1st and last be seen at the hotel restaurant around 7.30 p.m. Three days later, their dead bodies would begin surfacing around Tampa Bay one by one. At first... They remained unidentified due to the heat and decomposition of the bodies. A housekeeper back at the hotel reported that their room had not been disturbed in many days 
and that the police were notified. The fingerprints in the room were matched to the floating bodies and the victims were identified as the three Rogers women. Now, back home in Ohio, Hal Rogers, the husband, he had filed a missing persons report and was preparing to make the trek to Florida himself in order to look for his family. He, however, would soon be notified that his family had met an unfortunate demise. What he would learn would be that his family were found floating, bound at the hands and ankles with cinder blocks tied around their necks. This is fucking horrible. They were found naked from the waist down, implying that they had been sexually assaulted before they got in the water. Water was found in their lungs, and their hyoid bones were intact, suggesting that they had been alive when they were thrown over. Now, at the time, what we would not learn was who was responsible for these tragedies. Now, since you're listening to this episode, we know that Oba Chandler is the cunt who did these murders, but forget about that for a moment and pretend you're bewildered. That's probably a given. You're listening to this podcast, you're already bewildered. Uh, thank you for your continued support of bewilderment. Moving on! Some unknown perpetrator would be on the loose for three years, and there would be many twists and turns in this case. So, let's take a look at suspect number one. The husband did it. Or, alternatively, he put someone else up to it. Hal would never be considered a viable suspect, partly because he could be verified as being in Ohio the whole time. He also had seven grand taken out of the bank in order to fund his trip to Florida to find his missing family. He was ruled out fairly quickly, but one small detail did happen to cast some shade on him, and that was his support of his brother, who turns out to be suspect number two. Hal had posted bail for his brother John, who just happened to have been arrested for luring and sexually abusing two young girls, as well as Michelle Rogers. Michelle Rogers is Hal's kid. So Hal posted bail for his brother after he knew that John had sexually abused his own daughter. Not John's daughter, Hal's daughter. Now, Hal would claim that he bailed him out before he knew it was his own daughter was assaulted. Either way, you're posting bail for a team rapist. That's a bad look, Hal, brother or not. But yes, ultimately, it wound up having nothing to do with the killings, and you didn't deserve to have your family murdered. Now, back to John. Oddly enough, Hal and John's parents had property in Tampa, and John was known to have been there about a month before the Rogers went missing. Now, even oddlier, John was actually in prison in Ohio when the murders in Tampa were committed. But he was still considered a suspect. Naturally, John's lecherous behavior had caused a rift in the family. In fact, part of the reason Joan and her two daughters went to Florida in the first place was to kind of distance themselves from John's assault of Michelle. Why Hal bailed him out is beyond me. 
I wouldn't bail out my fucking brother. He's an asshole. He never diddled my children or anything. But I wouldn't waste five bucks on getting him out of the bin. Move along here. Move along. Since John was in prison at the time, they looked into the angle that maybe John had put someone up to the whole thing. They asked around, and it was found that John knew even less people in jail than he did in real life. He was pretty much a pathetic loser who was considered too dumb and too lonely to have arranged anything that elaborate. So despite the implied motive, he was ruled out. John would be released from jail in 2004, that was for the rape of Michelle, and allegedly hasn't spoken to Hal since. This guy has even less friends than this podcast, and it looks good on him, the fucking fuck. So, back to the case. There's relatively little to go on. Now that these two have been taken off the suspect list, but there was something else that happened in the weeks before the murders that had the same sort of vibe to it. About two weeks before the murders, a Canadian woman had fallen for the same ruse as the Rogers and wound up alone on a boat with a man posing as a man named Dave Posner. Posing as a Posner, that's really fishy. She would be raped by this Posner guy and gave a description of him to the police. Now, the similarity to the Rogers case couldn't be ignored, and they felt that there was a good chance that the same cunt was responsible for both of them. Now, you might say to yourself that this cunt only raped the Canadian woman and then let her go, and you'd be correct. He didn't kill her. But this woman was also with another woman when Mr. Posner had propositioned them. This other woman turned down his advances and stayed on shore. Now, Posner was annoyed when she showed up alone. He knew that if the woman he raped didn't come back, she would have been reported missing by this friend right away, and that would have been bad for him. The friend on the shore would also be able to ID him as the primary suspect because she met him, and right off the bat, he seemed like a cunt. In all likelihood, had both women gone out on the bay with him that night, they would have met the same watery fate as the Rogers family. So the police sketch of Dave Posner that came out of this case would work its way over and be associated with the Rogers case as well. For three years, the murders go unsolved. This cunt keeps doing what he's doing on, you know, installing vinyl, aluminum siding crap on shithouses and whatnot. And the tips kept pouring in. Even with the police sketch, most of these tips are horseshit, and it's very time-consuming to sift through and wheedle out all the junk. The authorities were battling through an unusual amount of useless, unfounded leads and making little progress. But they would take a very unusual step. A step so unusual that it was the first time it was ever used to apprehend an unknown criminal. The authorities 
recovered a brochure from the Rogers car after the murders, and it contained written directions from the hotel to Dave Poser's boat and a description of it. While that's not really that incriminating in itself, I mean, that could be anyone's boat at any one given time, the handwriting on the pamphlet would be very incriminating. You just needed some more of this fucker's handwriting to match it to. So what do they do? They post a sample of this guy's handwriting on a billboard and ask for help from the public on tracing it. And as an added inducement, a $25,000 reward was put forth. And bingo! A former neighbor had recognized Chandler's handwriting from a work order for some poorly done aluminum siding. The handwriting was analyzed and matched more or less conclusively to the writing on the brochure. They lifted a palm print from the brochure as well, and that also incriminated Chandler. Once they realized they were looking for a person in the aluminum siding business, they dubbed the case Operation Tin Man. When Chandler Posner noticed the billboards, he just uprooted his family from Tampa to Daytona. That seems kind of dumb to me. Could have at least left the state. I guess if I lived in Florida, I'd want to stay there too. It would take more than, a, more than a few incriminating billboards to get me to move to Minnesota. They could post up billboards with my picture on it that says, Dick loves little boys, and I still wouldn't leave. But I have nothing against Minnesota. I'm just under the impression it's cold there. I have enough cold now, and I don't need any more fucking snow. Snow is the cuntiest sort of weather there is. So my apologies... If any Minnesotans are listening, chances are, though, there's none. There's no one listening from Minnesota or anywhere. Period. So, Posner is arrested. And we know he's guilty. But what did he have to say about it? He said that he met the women, gave them directions, but that was all. Never saw them again, except on the billboards that were everywhere. Now, this looks terrible because he had talked to these women on the day that they went missing and he knew where they were missing. There were pictures of them all over town. You couldn't miss them. And he never bothered to tell anybody. You're screwed, fucker. He also admitted he was on the bay that night. He called home three times that night from the boat. And there was a record of these calls. I don't know who keeps records of boat phone calls, but it'll sure come in handy now in a minute. He claimed he was out fishing alone and had had boat troubles, which is why he was out until the early morning. He claimed to have made calls to, you know, whoever he would call out for help for, to, like, the Coast Guard boats, and he said that they said they were busy and couldn't be bothered to come help him. In the meantime, he said he fixed his boat with Ducky Brand tape. And he drove his boat back to the dock in the early morning. Now, the people who monitor boat phone calls call horse shit because they're good at their jobs 
and said he never put out any distress calls. So as you can tell, he's totally fucked. During the trial, they bring in the girl from Canada he raped earlier to establish that he was a cunt, if that wasn't already obvious. He was never charged with this rape because after he was sentenced for the murders, it would have been redundant. It also would have placed unnecessary stress on the poor rape victim. He was going down hard for these murders. Now, they also brought in a boat expert who tore apart Chandler's duct tape explanation of his engine repairs. Apparently, whatever kind of repairs his particular brand of boat would have required couldn't have been done with duct tape. I read the synopsis of the procedure and I didn't understand a fucking word of it. Basically, he's super screwed here. On top of that, an employee of his testified that Oba showed up to deliver some supplies to a work site the day after the murder. And when he showed up there, he looked more disheveled than normal. And on top of that, he also bragged about shagging three women the night before. You cocky fucking prick. You're going down, Chandler. His own daughter testified that he claimed to have killed the three women and was afraid to move back to Tampa because he didn't want to be caught. What kind of a stupid bastard is this guy? From what I can tell, the whole trial involves him saying, I don't remember, over and over again, while various people call him a lying, murderous cunt. So, he's found guilty of three counts of first-degree murder, as he should be. He's then sentenced to death, as he should be. The jury forewoman stated, quote, They need to do this swiftly. The man is a mutation of a human being, and he needs to be destroyed. End quote. I completely agree. Fry this fucker. Chandler would be swiftly executed. 17 years later. He would appeal his sentence many times over in those 17 years, failing every single time. He filed every motion available to him and said any and all of his rights were violated in the process. No matter how trivial these rights were, he was claiming they were violated. All the while, he just claimed to be innocent. He would die of lethal injection on November 15, 2011. He left a final statement saying, quote, You are killing a sick, innocent man today, end quote. So he's a liar, and his grammar sucks. An innocent man. An innocent man, jackass. It's a too little word, and you still fucked it up. You'd think he'd have brushed up on his elementary school English over the last 17 years. Legend has it that in the 17 years he spent in prison, he never had a single visitor because he's such a cunt. February 25th, 2014, three years after his death, we found out that he was even more of a cunt than we originally thought. An unsolved murder from November 27th, 1990, in Coral Springs, Florida, was linked to him through advanced DNA testing. 20-year-old Ivalice Berrios Begaris was working as a 
sporting goods store when she came out to find the tires of her 1985 Ford Tempo slashed. It appears that Chandler came along posing as a helpful stranger and suckered her into his vehicle. She did not return home after work that night, and her husband reported her missing. Three hours after the report was filed, her naked body was found under a residential mailbox. She had ligature marks on her wrists and legs and was raped and strangled. It was late coming, but at least the victim's family got some kind of closure on the horrible event. Chandler is probably responsible for even more atrocities, and I hope he spends eternity tied to a rock and drowning in the afterlife version of the Arctic Ocean. I want him to suffer an ice-cold ocean, not like the warm one he's used to down in Florida. Opa Chandler, a.k.a. Dave Posner, you're a cunt. I don't think you're innocent, and I do think you're a terrible speller. So, fuck that guy. And there you have it. Episode 19 of Evil Done Badly, the worst true crime podcast on the internet, is in the books. I hope you enjoyed this lousy discussion of Oba Chandler and his terrible crimes. Thanks again to Curtis P. for the suggestion. I'm glad you're here and invite you to tag along next week for our momentous 20th episode. Yay! That sounds like a great excuse to enjoy even more beverages than usual. Yay! Bring on the libations! I'm salivating already. I'm planning on having even more beverages than normal next week, so I will be even less coherent and less exciting. Tune in anyway! We can't be inept without our dedicated listeners, and thank you for being here. If you would like to suggest topics for future episodes, we can be reached by email at eviledonebadly at gmail.com or on Instagram, home of our tireless heckler, Marty Bass 1976 Join in the fun and heckle us too. Thanks for listening, and I will see you next time. Bye-bye.